1: Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today we celebrate the life of a man who has been heralded as one of the greatest endurance athletes ever. His name is John Van Wisser and he joins me in the studio. John, lovely to have you along. Thanks, Peter, thanks for having me. So we know the Van Wisser name and we probably know it uh, through your sister Tammy, yeah. but tell us about... Your sport, because the first question that I want to ask
0: you, and we've got forty minutes or so to have a chat. Yep. Are you mad? <laughs> Been asked that a fair bit. Uh, yeah, it's probably borderline what we do. So, yeah, I wish I was a sprinter, but I'm not. Not uh, no fast twitch fibre. So, unfortunately, I've got to go longer and longer, and it's the only where I get results. So, tell us about the events that you do. Tell us mm. the duration. We're going to talk
1: about the um, the arch to arc yeah. a little bit later on and this is an event which people will find unbelievable, but yeah. what are your main disciplines? What are, what are the sports
0: that you participate in and what distances do you do it over? Yeah, it's kind of uh, changed, Pete. So I started with marathon swimming when I was a, a late teenager just to get out of school. I needed to give my dad a reason to get out of school and he was, he was a hard man. He was a printer and he worked uh, many hours behind a machine and you know funded yeah. my sister and myself uh, travelling overseas. So so I got out of school that way, racing all through Europe with my sister Tammy. So we were we were racing from events from 20 to 48 kilometers in in swim races, and um, uh, I had a great time. But um, eventually, I got sick of doing. I was swimming 120k a week, training, preparing for these swims. So I got a bit sick of that. So I went to marathon running, and I went to Ironman triathlon, and then I went back to marathon swimming, and then and then the arch to arc. So one thing kind of led to the next. So so I've done uh, a lot of different kind of uh, endurance events. So when did you
1: find out that you could do this? Because it takes a very special type of person. We we see endurance athletes of all shapes and sizes, but this yeah. is taking it to another level. When did you discover that you had it in you, both physically and mentally, mm. that you were able to do this sort of
0: thing? Oh, my sister was first. She's five years older, so she actually she won a race from Beaumaris to Frankston when she was uh, probably about fifteen, and I paddled for I was about ten and uh, she beat the Australian champion at the time and she just randomly entered this race and and uh, the the head coach of Australian marathon swimming, Dick Campion, came up to Tammy and said, you know, you just beat the Australian champion you know, this is quite a big sport overseas so Tammy went overseas and did really well and won a lot of big races and I thought, oh, you know, this will be a good life for me too and I didn't realise how, how hard you had to train but um, so probably when I first went overseas, my first year I did quite well in some, some big uh, international swim races and Uh, One thing leads to the next. You do well in one race and it gets you confident for the next one. And, uh, you know, if you make a 20K, from all of a sudden you think, well, if I can do 20K, I could probably do 30, then I can do 40. So, um, yeah, one one thing kind of led to the next. And I've I've done like a double channel and arch-to-arc. And so it just, yeah, you start off with a single channel and you think, well, I can do a double channel. And then the arch-to-arc came up. So just, yeah, just kind of one thing led to the next and you, you build your confidence and your, and your resistance. Like it, As you get older, as long as you're not getting injured, you kind of build up, build your, um, your strength up through years of training. So, so physically, you, you get stronger as well just through you know, year after year of training.
1: What sets you aside, John, from us mere mortals? Is it your ability to, to get through the pain barrier? Mm. Again, both physically and mentally because it becomes a battle in both areas
0: yeah. once you hit that barrier. Yeah, every every um every event's different, Peter. So, some some events you might feel really good the whole way, and other events you feel terrible straight away, and you you come good halfway through. There's I always say, uh, endurance sports are like a metaphor of life. You have every almost every emotion, you know, in in one day's event where you don't know what's coming around the corner. You just got to deal with the punch when it comes, and hopefully you have a good good event, and you know it's not not too much to, not too many dramas, but. You could be feeling good for two hours, and all of a sudden you feel terrible, and you've got to, you know, you've got to deal with it and go back to your training and get food in you and just try and try and uh, get back in your rhythm and try and uh, get advice from your coach who might be on the boat with you and you know fight your way through it. And but I've had a lot of setbacks, and you know you learn from all your setbacks, and you try and you know fix it up in your training. And you know, like you might be no good in cold water. I had, I had dramas when I first swam the Channel English Channel; I was too skinny and I actually stopped breathing. So um, I had to get resuscitated by my coach on the boat, Dawn Fraser. So that was in 1993 and that really mentally shook me shook me up and uh, I was ready to quit and uh, Dawn said, come on, what are you doing, toughen up? And um, I went back the next year, I put on 23 kilos. So I, was, uh, I wasn't looking too good, I looked like a sumo wrestler but I got across the the channel the next year and I got the Australian record for the fastest crossing. So 12 months earlier, I was devastated. You know, I had to get resuscitated... I thought, you know, I wasn't good enough, and just getting a bit of advice from Dawn and, you know, just working out, you've got to put a bit of body fat on to handle the cold. And Yeah, now, you were told that. You were told yeah. you needed to bulk <laughs> up, but you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Why was that? I was pretty vain then. I was, I was 19 <laughs> or 20, I had a six-pack, so I was pretty proud of my six-pack. It's gone now. It's, it's, uh, so I, did, I didn't want to lose my six-pack. So my theory was I was going to be the skinniest and fastest man across the channel, because... Um, I felt really good for probably five or six hours and it just, the cold just creeps up in you. It's like when you're reading a book late at night and you just end up falling asleep or you say, I'm going to watch the end of this television show late at night and you wake up in the morning and the TV's on. So it kind of just creeps up in you and I just fell asleep while I was swimming and wake up in the boat with dawn Dawn hugging me and heard about the whole dramas that i had to get resuscitated and it really mentally shook me so
1: well it should mentally shake you because yeah. that was a very dangerous situation you yeah. found yourself in and actually dawn hurt herself when she was resuscitating
0: yeah you, dawn she? dawn broke our uh, ribs um you know help helping bring me out of the water so yeah so yeah so. but how close were you to being in serious trouble oh i'm not i'm not sure like i said it was it's kind of a bit of a dream and uh, I, was, I can't really remember much it's like when you read a book late at night you just gradually fall asleep and it just crept up on me and, and apparently yeah I, sta- I started uh, my legs started getting lower and lower in the water and I was still stroking when they pulled me out So, <laughs> but, but I wasn't with it so I guess I was reasonably close to... Uh, some bad news, but got through it. Where did the journey begin for you, John? Tell us about your upbringing.
1: You spoke yeah. about your dad and the fact that he stood behind a printer to finance yeah. you and your sister Tammy. Mm.
0: So where did you grow up? Oh, we, we grew up in uh, Springvale, Pete, so so um, I had a great, great upbringing. I uh, went to Heather Hill Primary School and Heather Hill High School, and um, oh, I loved my childhood, And but um, I wanted to get out of school, and my father, was a, he was a hard man, so I did a printing apprenticeship, but you know I wasn't really printing much, it was just an excuse to get out of school and um and once once i was i had a goal to to travel and race around europe dad said oh fair enough but now you've got to knuckle down and train so i ended up um finding the australian marathon coach a man called dick Campion, who was a great um great man for me he you know i really um respected him and he was a, he was a british olympian and he used to um no matter how cold it was he'd turn up to he owned his own pool in uh Turek. so we used to train at the armadale swim school and um, he would turn up in shorts and a singlet and have, have his stopwatch. He'd walk every lap. So I'd do twelve k in the morning, eight k at night, and he'd pretty much be walking every lap with his stopwatch. You know, fist pumping me, and he was just he was just super motivating. And so I had I had a fantastic probably three or four years training with Dick, and uh, we were doing yeah 120 k a week. So after a while, I just got sick of that. It was just. Too much, too much time in the pool. But too much black line. Too much black line. You know, yeah. you're, you're mentally in, and in swimming, you're doing a lot of hard quality heart rate sets too, because it's a a non weight bearing sport. So it's not just swimming laps. You're doing a lot of lot of your lapses against the clock. So you're breaking it down into you know hundred hundreds or things like that, where you're under pressure trying to make a time cycle. So so it's quite a tough sport. So I eventually got sick of that and. Um, I'd, I'd swam the channel got the got the Australian record for the fastest single in 94 and then 95 I ran the Melbourne Marathon so I had to lose 23 kilos because I put on 23 kilos of body fat for the uh, for the English Channel and the next year next six months later I was running the Melbourne Marathon what so time did you do in the Melbourne ran, Marathon 2.37 uh, oh jeez yeah it was my first marathon <laughs> um, so it went pretty good I blew up though halfway I went out with the leaders, I went out in about one ten for the first half and yeah. uh, blew Speak up. about hitting the wall. <laughs> Melbourne Marathon was big in those days. Yeah, this was probably 94. Not, it would have been 95, sorry. Yeah, after the channel. So, yeah. yeah, that was great. The old days where they, they run from Frankston. They, they brought it back, though, for a while. Yeah, they did. And they, and it's gone back to, uh, to a, a loop course now? I think so, yeah. Um, it, it
1: used to be one of the big events on the calendar in yeah. Melbourne. And you talked about your training. Yeah. And we talked about your sister. Did you train together? Am I right in saying that uh, there was a bit of a rivalry
0: between you oh, and your yeah. sister when you trained? Oh yeah, went. Uh, well, Tammy trained with Dick Campion as well for, for two or three years, and you know I'd, I'd take off, and if I had a bad day, and she'd be touching my toes, I wouldn't let her pass me, and uh, we'd have a big fight. You know, she had a license, I didn't have my license yet, and she'd try and kick me out of the car and walk home. You know, from <laughs> from Melbourne all the way to Springvale. <laughs> so yeah, we we're very competitive, and um, yeah, so. We, 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 I mean when we did the channel we had a boat each and we raced across and we raced across Port Phillip Bay from Port Arlington to Frankston before, before we swam the channel so, so yeah we've had a few good races and yeah we were very competitive and we trained hard and we pushed each other you know so it was, it was a good thing
1: So do you ever think about the fact that there are two members of the one family who are Mm -hmm. doing this incredibly difficult sport? Mm -hmm. Is it something that is in your genes or is it just something that you grew up with and it evolved with you, if you like?
0: Yeah, I don't think of myself as um, super talented or anything. I just think we've both uh, worked hard and I think it's just uh, doing the hard work and yeah, like I said, I'd rather be a sprinter, you know. take a lot mm. less time, but I'm not a sprinter, so I, I tend to do better at the longer the event goes. And But, I mean, I've had a lot of setbacks too, so... so What are the setbacks? Oh, I like, like the channel when I had to get resuscitated. Um, Hawaii Ironman, I had a few bad races there in the heat. I'm not very good in the heat. I prefer, the, prefer uh, running in the cold.
1: So when you so. say setbacks, uh, physical setbacks or mental setbacks, oh, I just so a combination the, of both. doing
0: the times you want to do. Yeah, you get injuries along the way too, and that knocks you about because you want to come back quick, and and you come back too soon, and th- just things like that. So it's been a long journey, and there. Yeah, so not every race case to plan, and you learn if you learn from your mistakes, and you and you, you build on that, you come back better. So that's that's how I look at it. Just before we
1: take a break, when you get together with Tam now, and uh, you know you might be at Christmas time or whenever, yeah. and you're playing. I don't know, table tennis or some sort of game. Hmm. Still competitive? <laughs> yeah, it's still on. <laughs> yeah. so you want to beat her every time, oh, yeah, at everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's the same. She's the same. She's very stubborn. Who wins most? Oh, me. Me. Do you reckon she'd agree with that? (laughs) Probably
1: not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. John Van Wissa is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk about that race that we've spoken about, the arch to arc, and you will not believe what this man has been through to set the greatest time, a time that has since been taken off him. So it's lit the fire again. More with John on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And delighted to be chatting to John Van Wisser on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. John, before the break, we mentioned this incredible feat, this incredible race, if you like, the Arch
0: to Arc. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, well, it starts off, Pete. You, you start in the Marble Arch of London and you finish in the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. So it consists of a 140k run from the Marble Arch of London to the English Channel. You then swim the English Channel and then you you then ride from Calais to the Arc de Triomphe, which is 291km. So the clock starts as soon as you start the run. Uh, You're allowed to rest, but the clock doesn't stop. So you've got to work out how much rest you need. Um, And with the English Channel, you have to leave at the high tide. So you've got to work out how long you think the run will take and how much rest you need. So I basically um, did it off a 24-hour turnaround. So I did my run in 15:52, which meant I couldn't start the swim till 24 hours, mm. but the clock's still going. So you can do it off less or more, but but if you're not ready to go by the start of the tide, you, you've missed you've missed your opportunity. So so um so you got to work at how aggressive you're going to be and how much rest you think you'll need. Um, with be- this before we actually talk about the the record yeah. that you set.
1: You, you were going to do it, I think, 17 years previously, were yeah. Well, yeah. Why did that not
0: happen? Oh, well, um, we, I think we just run the channel, uh, Tammy and I, and we'd heard a rumour from a French newspaper if anyone could do this, but in the reverse way. And we um, we, we couldn't get the funding to do it, so I was training for it. I was doing 100K training runs, so I was preparing for it, but I couldn't get the funding. And since then, it became an organised event uh, run by a company called Enduro Man. So the the founder of the event uh, Edgar Edgy who was an ex military man he was the first man to do the arch to arc and then he made it uh, an actual event where people you pay him a fee and he puts observers and like I said you get a week's window um basically you work out your window then you have to choose a day in that in that week when you're going to go and he's an observer or he puts someone else as an observer on and and starts the clock and times it all for you and it goes down as you know, as, as your time if you finish it. So
1: so you do this by yourself. It's not yeah, in the no, field of athletes. No, They're... it's a time
0: trial, yeah. yeah. But people try it um, every week in summer. So I think about 25 have finished now, but in summertime, you know, someone for four months of the year, somebody's attempting it every week, but maybe 1% make it, maybe. Hmm. The man you spoke about, the founder yeah. of the event, Edgar, yeah. he was on your support team, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was fantastic. So we were lucky to have... He was my observer, so... Um, and he was really keen for me to get the record and he was just a great man and um, he was you know he gave some really good advice although he kind of questioned the times I could do so he kind of mentally challenged me too um, because I said I'd do the run in in under 16 hours he said you can't do the run in under 16 because it's a tough run course and then I said I was going to do the swim you know leaving off 24 hours he said no you need more rest and so he kind of like mentally challenged me but I, I was able to actually do it so so, um but he was yeah, he just a very honest man, and um yeah, you know, we got some really good advice from him and and um yeah it was it was a you know a massive uh a massive sixty one
1: hours having him in your corner hmm. would be um very reassuring, I would think, because we all like to draw on in all walks of life people who have been there and done what we're trying to do yeah but it's there's such a small group of people in your case yeah that to have someone who's actually been there and done it. When he says
0: something, you listen no oh, we had total respect for him, and yeah uh, he, he didn 't know what to make of us at first because he heard the times we were saying, and he, he didn 't believe it, and he sat us down and, and like I said, he sat us down when we first got there and said i don 't believe you can run this time or or, or start the swim off twenty four hours it 's too soon um, but one, once we did it, he became, our, he became we became great mates, so so yeah, um, but I had absolute massive respect for him. Um, he's just a real straight, honest, uh, yeah, straight shooter and uh, it was fantastic having him as our observer and he he wanted me to get the record, he's, you know, he he really had my back and um, like I said, we've become great mates now um, because I did the time I said I was going to do, so he worked out we weren't pulling his leg. So how many hours did you say it took you? I took 61 hours, 27 minutes. How much of that was rest? Oh, so, so I did the run in 15.52, but I actually got lost going through London. So I ended up running 145k, an extra 5k. And I, did, I went off... So that's three and a half marathons, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and it's a tough run. Like, like um, you're basically... He's in a car and, and he'll go ahead and then he'll come back and say, oh, look, we're going to run through a town now. When you see the hospital, turn left. When you see the service station, turn right. So you constantly... you got to stop for traffic I um, thought you were going to say when you see the hospital turn left into it. into the hospital, <laughs> yeah, I felt like that. But yes, yeah, so you can't switch your brain off, so you're constantly yeah. you know, looking for directions. And then at nighttime, um, you, you have to carry this high-definition torch because there's potholes everywhere, and you've got to run on the other side of the road, and the uh, the nature strip's, you know, it's unrunnable, so if a car comes the other way, you've got to stop, climb up the nature strip, let the car come past, climb back down the road. So, so there's a lot of extra movements where you can't just switch your brain off, and you know shuffle along you're looking you're constantly looking for potholes if cars come you've got to you know get off the road let the car come then go back on the road so yeah it's it's a very hilly course um so it's, it's a brutal run um so what yeah. sort of state were you in when you got to the end of the run oh my body shut down um see we 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 were staying about half an hour away from from uh, where the run finished which was a bit of a mistake because by the time i got home my body shut down and uh, I was very sick after the run, and I got up in the morning and I really struggled to get breakfast down. So I, I, I sculled about four litres of water, tried to clear clear out my stomach, and but I was feeling terrible. But you know, in hindsight, I, I never thought I was going to feel good anyway after running 145 k. So, but the problem was that um, the the day I swam, that whole week, every other channel swimmer cancelled. Because it was it was the back of a hurricane from America, mm. and we are on an eight and a half meter tide, which is the biggest tide you could get. Because we only booked it a year out, that was the only tide free. So we had wind against tide. So every channel swimmer that was booked to swim that week, including relay teams, which are six people that only have to do an hour each, no one else even attempted to go out. So I'd run one hundred forty-five k, and then I was swimming on a day where no one else swam. So it was it was very very um, traumatic. Like you know, people were saying, "Don't do it; it's too risky." Um, because I was confident in my swimming background, I, um, the boatman actually gave me special permission to go out on on that on that day, because I'd done a double crossing with him before. So, so yeah, so I was lucky to get a window to even start the swim because because my week's window was was shocking weather. Um, but I got I got through the swim, but it was it was brutal. Like it took me twelve and a half hours, which I was expecting to take about eight to nine hours, and um, it was wind against tide, so it was very awkward chop it's kind of chop where you can't get a rhythm your, your arms in one spot your head's in another spot your legs in other spots it's like you're getting ragdolled. so mm-hmm. normally when I swim I try and kind of half switch my brain off where here because I was getting It was I was just feeling dizzy the whole way and about two hours in the swim I was, I was feeling really sorry for myself and I, I said to the boatman I said oh is this going to get any better you know hoping for a bit of love and the boatman goes. I thought you were a swimmer. Swim. <laughs> so I thought, oh, fair enough. Stop being a baby. So, I, so then I had a good patch again. And then, did you get uh, some messages from Tammy? Yeah, from a sister on the phone. And um, uh, most of my crew was seasick, so a lot of them were struggling as well. Because um, in the boat with that small kind of awkward chop, the boat really gets rocked rocked around. So, so yeah, most of my crew were really very very ill. So it was it was quite traumatic for the for the crew as well so and they had to feed me every 20 minutes so they were struggling too um and then yeah um right at the end i finished late at night and i saw a lighthouse and it looked uh, I, I started heading off towards the lighthouse and i should have kept going straight but the lighthouse was the closest thing i could see and i had earplugs in and the bowman was screaming at me like no nah, you've got to keep going straight i didn't realize the current was against me there so I got within 400 metres of the, um, of the lighthouse, and I, and I started barely moving. So you're treading water, essentially. Oh, it was terrible. So I, was, I basically sprinted for half an hour to make that last 400 metres. And even with 10 metres to go, I wasn't sure I could get in. That's got to do your heading. I, I finished the swim, and I was... I was um, they did a DVD on it, and I was my eyes were rolling back in my head. I was, you know, I was out of it. So because I really had to spend all my petrol tickets to make that last four hundred meters. Mm. But had I kept swimming straight, which I was heading in further into land, I would have beat that current. So, so had I missed that point where the lighthouse is another two or three hours around the next corner. But that's partly because I was on a big, massive eight and a half metre tide. So, so yeah. So the bigger the tide, the further you swim. So yeah, so you, when you swim the channel, you want to have the smallest tide you can, but because so many people try and do the channel, it's, it's not easy to get a small tide. So essentially,
1: take it back to the days of the Melbourne Marathon when you're running the Melbourne Marathon. Yeah, you get to within 400 metres of the finish, and someone puts you on a treadmill. Yeah, that's essentially what it was
0: like. For yeah, that and you got you got to sprint to get in, and you're, you're just making centimetres really. Yeah. So and I was I was already I was already tired from you know running 145k and. And like I said, it wasn't the kind of swim where I could switch my brain off because it was very awkward chop like I swam in bigger waves than that because, because it was wind against tide it was really awkward chop where you, you could, your body was unstable all the time, so yeah it was i could you always always had to keep my you know keep lucid all the time I couldn't switch my brain off and so yeah it was it was a it was a hard swim a very hard swim it was harder than my like double crossing, just doing a single crossing so yeah, I got there eventually, but I was in a bad state when I finished the um finished the swim, and the second crew, which was already in in um, France, picked me up, um, and they thought I was gone. So, and you have to start the bike within twelve hours, and um, they were going to give me the full twelve hours rest because I was, like I said, I was half concussed when I got out of the water, and and what happened? Oh well, I I, I couldn't sleep anyway, so I had got I got food into me, and my throat was really swollen from the salt water. So um, one of my crew got me chicken soup, and it was the best chicken soup I've ever had. <laughs> that oh, hit bad. the spot, and um, so I said after after probably about eight hours, I got up and I I couldn't. I was thinking I'm functional now. I just got to go because the clock's still going. Were you the first one up? I was the first one up, so I had to get the crew up. So <laughs> the crew were, were going to get up, you know, after eleven hours and get me going within twelve. So we had to get the bike and the car drive to the start, which was in Calais. So that wasn't like another hour wasted. So. So yeah, so logistically, there's you know there's there's still mistakes I made, but but um but yeah, I, I couldn't sleep any. I was too. It's kind of a contradiction you That you feel really hungry, but you can't kind of fully eat. You feel sleepy, but you can't sleep. It's mm. like trying to sleep on an airplane. Yeah. So I was that tired that and that sore. I was getting cramps, and you know you, you you half go to sleep and you get a cramp and wake up, or yeah, just you, you don't get a proper sleep. So I thought, well, I'm functional now. I'm not going to feel better four hours later. Let's just let's just get going. So.
1: You jump on the bike, Mm. having been just about physically gone at the end of the first leg and physically gone at the end of the second leg. What's your brain telling you in the first 15 minutes of the ride when you know you've got hours and hours and hours and
0: kilometres in front of you? Yeah, well, when I was training, I thought, once I've got to the bike, I'm set. Because I I figured, I mean, it's still 291k, but if you're on a bike, you're sitting down, you don't have to pedal the whole time. So I was thinking, oh, here, I'm, I'm set now. But it was a really hilly bike course, mm. and um, and I still had the big the big winds. It was massive headwinds, so the first 40k took me two hours, and I was thinking that would take me just over an hour. And I thought, geez, I've got to ride 290k to like this. I'm in trouble. So um, we we stopped in, in Boulogne. The first stop was in Boulogne where there was a McDonald's. And um and Edgar the, the no, founder. Oh, you didn't, did you? I did, I did. I, it's the best McDonald's I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you have? Come on. Oh, I had. Uh, well, my throat was still quite swollen, so I had a lot of Sundays and um, some mushed up nuggets and and uh, didn't go to the Big Mac. Oh, my throat was was a bit sore, but, yeah. <laughs> but um but along the way the crew would go ahead and get me McDonald's stops, so they'd they'd go ahead take my order and come back, and I'd stop on the side of the road and eat, eat McDonald's. So I was having McDonald's for most of the ride because I was at. I was that exhausted. I just felt like everything sugar. Did you get you know when a sponsorship you had a pe- out of this? <laughs> no, I didn't get, didn't get nothing. Gee. But, um, but you know like when you've had a big night out on, on the on the town, you, you feel can't like... Can't remember that, <laughs> You feel like fast food. So it's a bit like that. You're just craving sugar and salt and oil. and um, Yeah, so Macca's was was what I was really um, craving. And Edgar told me after the event, he said, a lot of triathletes that attempt the Arch to Ark, they have all these plans, nutrition plans, and he said, 80K into the run, they're all saying, get me some fish and chips. Mm. Yeah, so a lot, lot of the nutrition plans kind of go out the door. So you just kind of go with the flow. And yeah, like I said, you don't, you don't know what's coming, what punch is coming around the corner when you're doing these events. And So fueled by all of these fluids that you're talking about and yeah. a whole lot of McDonald's. Yeah, and the bike I did, yeah. The, the swim
1: I basically, I just had fluids the whole swim. Yeah. So you get to the end and you do mm. it yeah. and you break the record. Yeah. What was your overriding... Uh, sense when you cross the
0: line, oh, I was. It was more relief. Yeah. I thought. I thought. I thought I'd be ecstatic, but because once once you get to Paris, you're getting stopped at all the lights, so you have to stop because the observer has to witness witness you riding the whole way, and, and I'm, basically I'm following him too, so I don't know the exact course. So when he gets stuck at the light, I get stuck at the light. So you get a lot of time to and and but I'd, I'd had the record um, under my belt. I was, I was eleven hours ahead of the record, so. I knew I was going to get the previous record, so I had time to kind of relax a bit. and um, Yeah, so when was, I finished... Was the Arctitree on for one of the great sights you've ever seen in your life when, when you oh saw it? Oh, yeah, it, it was fantastic. You don't actually ride right up to it, so I started heading towards it, and all of a sudden I hear screams from friends on the, on the footpath saying, "'Turn right!' So you ride within 100 metres of it, and you stop within 100 metres of it because you can't actually physically go right up to it. it's yeah. It's blocked off so um, but yeah I was, it was just relief really Pete just to, um, to, to, to to do all the training and to get through all the all the curveballs that came along the way and you know like I said um, I, I was told by the organiser that you know I couldn't do this time and I wouldn't be able to swim this time and, and then to have the swim where everyone cancelled and I, I got through it you know but I finished in a in a bad state after the swim but you know I semi recovered I, I didn't, didn't ride my best I still wasn't riding fantastic car uh, because I was still pretty tired from the swim but I got through the ride, you know, with massive headwinds and big hills, and so yeah, I got, I got through it, and you know, and um, so it was a massive adventure. How long does it take your body, John, to recover from something like that? Oh, that took that took at least six months, Pete. I was, yeah, I was, um, I mean, your, your muscles recover quick, probably, your muscles probably recover within a week, but I was just physically drained. I didn't want to do, I wasn't motivated to do anything for six months. I just wanted to watch telly, and yeah, you know, I struggled to get out of bed, and But I knew I'd pay a price, so, you know. So is that a letdown? It's a, um, uh, where it should be euphoria
1: in some ways, Yeah. it's the hangover that happens afterwards. And we see it in all sorts of sports, that you Mm. expect that there's going to be this incredible high, but for all sorts of reasons, it becomes almost, not a depressive state, but a Mm. a very big battle for an athlete in
0: that circumstance. Oh, yeah, it's it's quite, yeah, you're missing a big void once you've done it, because Yeah, my, basically my whole life. It, it sounds kind of sad, but my whole life was dedicated for that event for for a year. That's what you really, when you get out of bed, that's what you're really thinking about. You're thinking, how can I improve myself today? For what I'm, you know, you're going through still life's life's uh, chores, but that's what I'm really focused on for my day. Mentally, that's what I'm thinking about. So once once that's you know finished, it's like, well, what am I doing now? And and I'm and you're you kind of physically because you got to really dig into the world for those those events you can't properly train I and mean, i can't do 140k training run because then i've left my best form on the training track so mm. so same with english channel you don't you know like you don't do english channel training swims because it's just too, it's too intense on your body so it's really a leap of faith and uh you're trying you're trying to accumulate distance that you know you, you're trying, trying to do stuff in training like cold water training or you know, i was doing 70k training runs and I'd jump straight into the bay you know in the middle of winter and and swim straight after that so I try and do simulations but you can't do exactly like like um the event because it's just too it's just too hard so it's a leap of faith and your body can't fully you know cope with everything it takes months to fully recover so yeah I reckon you know um energy wise it took me six months before I felt you know like being productive again and getting another goal and and like I said there's a big void missing in your life because you you know, you'd have a reason really to get out of bed for, for, for something, you know, so it was such a big, big challenge. Well,
1: given all of that, you'd think that there would be no possibility <laughs>
0: that this man
1: would even contemplate doing that again. And if you think that, you'd be wrong. And we'll find out on the other side of the break why you're wrong. John Van Wisser is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donnegan. A fascinating chat with John Van Wisser for Tobin Brothers Funerals, 23 chapels across Victoria, online at tobinbrothers.com.au. John, we mentioned before the break, Mm. you'd have to be a bit
0: crazy to try and go through (laughs) that again, but apparently you're going to. Why is that? Oh, well, a Frenchman broke my record, Peter, so um, he took it an hour off and... um, yeah, like I said I had bad conditions I know it's excuses but I had bad conditions last time got lost in the run so even when I finished the event I still thought jeez I could have gone a lot quicker had I had better conditions and you know cut my rest down so so it's kind of been bugging me that he got my record and uh, while I'm physically while I think I'm still physically able to I want to try and Get my record back, so so did he get you in times in the three disciplines, or was it shorter rest periods? How did nah, he? No he he, um, he ran nineteen hours, so he ran three hours slower, but he left off twenty four hours the same as me, and he swam three hours slower, but on a perfect perfect day, and then he cut five hours off the rest after the swim. So he was just tough. He just cut the rest down, and he did a magnificent um, performance. So so yeah, I mean. It's easy to say cut the rest down, but it's a long way. So, mm. so he he was he was magnificent. I take my hat off to him. But, but um. Yeah. In light of what
1: you've been through, can you
0: cut your rest periods down, or is that getting I think to so. dangerous territory? No, I think I can take quite a lot off because, like I said, the swim I had was you know that single channel I did was harder than my double crossing. Mm. It was just no one else swam on that day, and it was an eight and a half meter tide. So, my next year's tide's like about a five meter tide. So. It means i 'll be swimming a lot less be swimming a straighter line. It means when I get to france i, I won 't be swimming on the spot in, you know, in, in the same kind of way, so hopefully hopefully yeah so so theoretically with with i shouldn 't get the back of a hurricane again i 've got a smaller tide so so um, so theoretically, I should be able to cut hours off my swim time and, and have hours less rest after the swim because i shouldn 't be in such a bad state. That's so.
1: theoretically, of course. Oh, I know because, it's, all,
0: it's all talk. Yeah, absolutely. and we
1: found out not long ago mm-hmm. uh, that the weather bureau has all the data at their fingertips. But yeah. sometimes you can't predict accurately what is going to happen in the future. So oh, absolutely. you're in the lap of the weather
0: gods in lots of ways. Absolutely. And I'm getting older, you know. So how so old are you now? I'm 45. Just turned 45. So, but I feel, still feel really good. Um, you won't do it again after this, though, will you? No. The plan was to, to do a time that I'd be happy with. And then if somebody beats it, then fair enough. But Because so much went wrong last time, mm. even when I finished it, before the Frenchman even got my record, I was already, you know, thinking, oh, I've got to go back. This is, you know, if, if somebody beats it when I'm 60, I'll be like going, I'll be a whinging old man saying, oh, I could have done this, could have done that. So I thought I've got, to, I've got to go back and try and lower it. And then if I get a half-decent window and I, and I lower it and someone beats it then, if that happens, then, you know, I, I think I could live with that. When you heard that your record had been lowered, mm. were you pissed off? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's a—he's a his name's Cyril Blanchard. He's a fantastic man. And You've spoken to him? Oh, yeah. he—he fo- he He's, like, uh, on the Facebook, and, um, yeah, he, he was asking me questions. I didn't realise he was doing it. So he, he was asking me questions on the Facebook. I didn't realise we were friends on Facebook. And, um he, he seems like a really nice guy, and, and um But yeah, you want to take him down. Well, I want to get my time, yeah, absolutely, yeah. so... So when yeah. does that happen? My window's September sixteenth, so so I haven't started training yet. Um, that's the hard bit getting doing all the training is just the training was brutal. You know, last time like I was doing seventy k training runs every third week on the concrete, and um, every Friday I'd do a massive swim day where I'd do ten to seventeen k in the swimming pool, but heart rate. Then the other days I'd be doing a mix of running, swimming, uh, bike, and weights. So I'd have my set days where I'd be doing you know big big swims, big runs. And the other days I'll be doing four things in a day. So it's um, it's very demanding and you've got to try and keep your body together and not get injured and keep motivated. And um, yeah, so, and then hope, hope like I said, on the day it's a leap of faith because you can't fully train to, to that distance. It's a stupid thing to say uh,
1: about this being easy. Mm. It, of course it's not easy, but is it easier? Is it going to be easier because you now know what you have to go through you have done
0: it and you know what your brain and your body is going to be telling you at various times i, th- I think so but um but then ign- ignorance is bliss too like you hear about the marathon runners that do their best yeah. marathon in the first one so until i've done it you know it's all it's all talk and um but yeah I, i'm yeah I'm, I'm confident i can lower it a fair bit if i get the right conditions so but like i said it's ifs and buts and you got to do it and um you know, there's, a lot can go wrong. It's it's a br- it's a brutal event, and but I th- I think if I, if you know if I do the proper training and I get good conditions this time, I can lower it a fair bit.
1: And just one last one on this race, John. Uh, you talked about your dad and the yeah. fact that he financed you, and it was his idea originally that you might even do that back in nineteen ninety seven. When you crossed the line, I'm sure your thoughts
0: went to your dad at oh, that yeah. time, pretty. Quickly after that. Oh, and, and whenever I'm in a, in a tough position too, I was thinking of my dad. You know, standing behind a printing machine. Hmm. So yeah, so he was a, he was a fantastic man, and yeah, like I said, we, we wouldn't be anywhere without him. So yeah, so yeah, so so that, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be doing what I'm doing than standing behind a machine all day. So yeah. <laughs> like he didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky I can do, you know, do these things because, you know, it sounds silly, but you kind of half enjoy it. So That does sound silly. It does, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people listening to us now who can't understand
1: how it could be enjoyable. But anyway, uh, you've proven that it can be. Mm. We'll be back to wrap things up on the other side of the break. John Van Wisser is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Yeah! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donnegan. Our final segment with endurance athlete John Van Wisser. John, what are you doing these days to earn a dollar?
0: Oh, I'm a swim coach, Pete, so I've been doing that for probably 20 years. So I just run my own business. I just hire lanes out of the arse, Swim Right Pool in Cheltenham. And, um, I've had probably 20 people cross English Channel. So I coach channel swimmers and triath- a lot of triathletes and people who just want to keep fit. Do you get as much
1: satisfaction out of coaching someone who maybe thought that they could never ever possibly do something like swim the English Channel, but when you get them there, is that as satisfying as actually
0: doing it yourself? Oh, it, it, you get some amazing um, stories. Like people, well, I had the first Malaysian who crossed the channel um, two thousand, I think two thousand and three, and he was an, he was a Commonwealth Games cyclist and he couldn't he could barely swim. And he he came um, to Melbourne to train with me, and I remember he could barely swim a hundred metres, and I thought, oh, geez, how's he going to swim the channel? But he was mentally super tough, and you know, I had him swimming through. He come from a hot country in Malaysia, where people generally don't swim, so I had him swimming through uh, winter time in Port Phillip Bay at the Brighton Bars, and and he he never he never complained, and he ended up um, swimming the channel in I think seventeen hours. So it took him a while, but he got across, and um, he was we were, we were backed by the prime minister then, Dr. Marti. So um, it was huge news in Malaysia. Hmm. So we were like front page in the paper in Malaysia every day, doing all the TV shows, and um, so you had stories like that. And I had um, a, f- a friend called Richard Payne who who um, who was the oldest Australian to swim the Channel for a while. And he, I remember, he was an iceberger at um, Brighton, yeah. and they have a, a stick where they call it the no-brainer, where it's the shortest possible course you can do. And when he first joined the icebergers, he could barely do a no-brainer. And this man's ended up swimming in this channel. So so you know, what do those two stories tell you mm-hmm. about whether you need to be technically
1: a very good swimmer or whether it's far more important that you have the mental attitude to tell
0: yourself that you can do this thing? Well, it's, it's, it's working out what you think would stop you. So is it the cold water Will your shoulder go? And then it's trying to get a, a, the best possible swim window you can. So you try and get the smallest tide. And then um, you try and hopefully get a you get a week's window and you hope you get good weather in that week. But then I always tell my swimmers the worst case scenario. Like you could be swimming on the spot at the end for a couple of hours. But if you keep swimming, you'll eventually get there. Uh, generally, not always. I mean, um, I'm friends with Campbell Brown and he had a lot of bad luck. So Campbell went, went out and um, they had beautiful weather and then the bad weather came in 12 hours ahead of schedule. And um, everyone that was in the water that day got pulled out. So Campbell swam on the spot for four hours, and it was like it was like a perfect storm. Like everyone, on the boat was sick, and um, so every swimmer that was out in the channel that they got pulled out. So some days it's just bad luck; you just everyone gets pulled out, mm-hmm. you know. So the channels notorious for for being having fickle weather. So you try and get the smallest tide you can, and then you hope you get the the best possible swim window. But yeah, I, I always, you know, go with my swimmers. What do you think will stop you? So we try and work on anything, you know, where they can handle the cold, and you know, you might have to stay in the water for a whole day. Um, yeah, and then it's then it's um, just keeping the food up, and and then mentally wanting to do it, and hopefully get a, a you know a swim window where you can get across, because you could go there and you get a swim window where it's you know you can't get no one gets across, hmm. and it's just bad luck that the bad weather came in early. They were pressed for time because the rest of the week looked no good. So they had to go that day and the weather just blew up and, you know, it's bad luck. That's why it has a low, low success rate, at the channel. Just in closing, you talked about the lull
1: that you went through after setting the record. Yeah. Do you think the same thing will happen again, given the fact that this is the last time that you're going to do this, mm-hmm. hopefully?
0: Do you think that you are going to experience something similar after it's all done? Oh, you do anyway because you, your body's so tired. So I think you, you use up all your endorphins and you just dig in the well so deep that I always think that... Um, they say after doing the Ironman triathlon, you get the Ironman blues. So you mm. feel a bit down after because it's such an unnatural distance to, to do. So you, you really have to dig into the into the well to, you know, like I said, you can't fully train for those events. Um, so, but it's all part of it. And you, if you know you're not going to feel great for a, a little while... but You know, no two events are the same. Sometimes you feel good after a few months. The last one, because I had such tough conditions, it took me at least six months. So you, you pay the price, and it is what it is, and whatever whatever comes
1: comes. It's a remarkable story. Um, 2018 is a year where we're going to see the Winter Olympic Games Mm. and we're also going to see the Commonwealth Games and they're going to get a lot of attention. Mm. No doubt what you do won't get nearly as much attention, Mm. but perhaps it should and we'll be keeping an eye on it. We wish you luck. Thanks for sharing your story with us and good luck the next time it's tiddlywinks or table tennis or whatever (laughs) against Tam. (laughs) I hope you continue on your winning streak. She may have a different story, (laughs) but I hope you continue it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. John Van Wisser, our special guest. Guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed that fascinating chat. And we'll be back with a special guest same time next week, right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why Tyre Power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 132191.